0: BOOK FIRST CHAPTER 6 OF BEN-HUR BY LEW WALLACE This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. CHAPTER 6 In an aperture of the western wall of Jerusalem hang the oaken valves, called the Bethlehem, or Joppa Gate. The area outside of them is one of the most notable places of the city. Long before David coveted Zion, there was a citadel there. When at last the son of Jesse ousted the Jebusite and began to build, the site of the citadel became the northwest corner of the new wall, defended by a tower much more imposing than the old one. The location of the gate, however, was not disturbed, for the reasons, most likely, that the roads which met and merged in front of it could not well be transferred to any other point, while the area outside had become a recognized marketplace. In Solomon's day there was great traffic at the locality, shared in by traders from Egypt and the rich dealers from Tyre and Sidon. Nearly three thousand years have passed, and yet a kind of commerce clings to the spot. A pilgrim wanting a pin or a pistol, a cucumber or a camel, a house or a horse, a loan or a lentil, a date or a dragoman, a melon or a man, a dove or a donkey, has only to inquire for the article at the Joppa gate. Sometimes the scene is quite animated, and then it suggests what a place the old market must have been in the days of Herod the Builder. And to that period and that market, the reader is now to be transferred. Following the Hebrew system, the meeting of the wise men described in the preceding chapters took place in the afternoon of the twenty-fifth day of the third month of the year, that is to say, on the twenty-fifth day of December. The year was the second of the a hundred and ninety-third Olympiad, or the seven forty-seventh of Rome, the sixty-seventh of Herod the Great, and the thirty-fifth of his reign, the fourth before the beginning of the Christian era. The hours of the day, by Judean custom, began with the sun, the first hour being the first after sunrise. So to be precise, the market at the Joppa gate during the first hour of the day stated was in full session and very lively. The massive valves had been wide open since dawn. Business, always aggressive, had pushed through the arch entrance into a narrow lane and court, which, passing by the walls of the great tower, conducted on into the city. As Jerusalem is in the hill country, The morning air on this occasion was not a little crisp. The rays of the sun, with their promise of warmth, lingered provokingly far up on the battlements and turrets of the great piles about, down from which fell the crooning of pigeons and the whir of the flocks coming and going. As a passing acquaintance with the people of the holy city, strangers as well as residents, will be necessary to an understanding of some of the pages which follow, it will be well to stop at the gate and pass the scene in review. Better opportunity will not offer to get sight of the populace who will after a while go forward in a mood very different from that which now possesses them. The scene is at first one of utter confusion, confusion of action, sounds, colors, and things. It is especially so in the lane and Court. The ground there is paved with broad, unshaped flags, from which each cry and jar and hoof stamp arises to swell the medley that rings and roars up between solid, impending walls. A little mixing with the throng, however, a little familiarity with the business going on, will make analysis possible. Here stands a donkey, dozing under panniers full of lentils, beans, onions, and cucumbers, brought fresh from the gardens and terraces of Galilee. When not engaged in serving customers, the master, in a voice which only the initiated can understand, cries his stock. Nothing can be simpler than his costume, sandals, and an unbleached, undyed blanket, crossed over one shoulder and girt round the waist. Nearby, and far more imposing and grotesque, though scarcely as patient as the donkey, kneels a camel, raw-boned, rough, and grey, with long, shaggy tufts of fox-coloured hair under its throat, neck, and body, and a load of boxes and backs skits curiously arranged upon an enormous saddle. The owner is an Egyptian, small, lithe, and of a complexion which has borrowed a good deal from the dust of the roads and the sands of the desert. He wears a faded tarbouche, a loose gown, sleeveless, unbelted, and dropping from the neck to the knee. His feet are bare. The camel, restless under the load, groans and occasionally throws his teeth. But the man paces indifferently to and fro, holding the driving strap, and all the time advertising his fruits fresh from the orchards of the Kidron, grapes, dates, figs, apples, and pomegranates. At the corner where the lane opens out into the court, some women sit with their backs against the gray stones of the wall. Their dress is that common to the humbler classes of the country, a linen frock extending the full length of the person, loosely gathered at the waist, and a veil or wimple broad enough, after covering the head, to wrap the shoulders. Their merchandise is contained in another of earth jars, such as are still used in the east for bringing water from the wells and some leathern bottles. Among the jars and bottles, rolling upon the stony floor, regardless of the crowd and cold, often in danger but never hurt, play half a dozen half-naked children, their brown bodies, jetty eyes, and thick black hair attesting the blood of Israel. Sometimes, from under the wimples, the mothers look up, and in the vernacular modestly bespeak their trade. In the bottles, honey of grapes. In the jars, strong drink. Their entreaties are usually lost in the general uproar, and they fare illy against the many competitors, brawny fellows with bare legs, dirty tunics, and long beards, going about with bottles lashed to their backs, and shouting, Honey of wine! Grapes of engedi When a customer halts one of them, round comes the bottle, and upon lifting the thumb from the nozzle, out into the ready cup gushes the deep red blood of the luscious berry. Scarcely less blatant are the dealers in birds, doves, ducks, and frequently the singing bulbul, or nightingale, most frequently pigeons, and buyers, receiving them from the nets, seldom fail to think of the perilous life of the catchers, bold climbers of the cliffs, now hanging with hand and foot to the face of the crag, now swinging in a basket far down the mountain fissure. Blent with peddlers of jewelry, sharp men cloaked in scarlet and blue, top-heavy under prodigious white turbans, and fully conscious of the power there is in the luster of a ribbon and the incisive gleam of gold, whether in bracelet or necklace, or in rings for the finger and nose, and with peddlers of household utensils, and with dealers in wearing apparel, and with retailers of unguents for anointing the person, and with hucksters of all articles, fanciful as well as of need, hither and thither, tugging at halters and ropes, now screaming, now coaxing, toil the vendors of animals, donkeys, horses, calves, sheep, bleeding kids, and awkward camels, animals of every description except the outlaw's swine. All these are there, not singly as described, but many times repeated, not in one place, but everywhere in the market. Turning from this scene in the Lane and Court, this glance at the sellers and their commodities, the reader has need to give attention in the next place to visitors and buyers, for which the best studies will be found outside the gates, where the spectacle is quite as varied and animated. Indeed, it may be more so, for there are superadded the effects of tent, booth, and sook, greater space, larger crowd, more unqualified freedom, and the glory of the eastern sunshine. End of chapter six.